Well, that's the thing. When you go and you do that search, which is just like CSS left can't titles again table, which is usually how I put it in. Beautifully worded. (laughs) Everybody, we're back with the Sack Overflow podcast, episode two of the Reboot Crew. It's the week of October 21st. We're coming at you. So I'm Ben Popper, director of content. Everybody else wants to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Public Q&A here at Stack Overflow. And I'm Paul Ford, Director of Nothing! No, I I actually don't work (laughs) at Stack. I am a co-founder of a software company called Postlight. And so this week we're going to be talking about Paul's career as a club promoter. And we have a great guest, Cassidy Williams, who will be joining us. This is a weird one. (laughs) Um, Paul, I heard you opened a club. Something nice happened. And I think it's important to share nice tech stories. Ready? (laughs) Right. (laughs) A nice thing happened. So in 2014... I, I had a few Manhattans. My kids were three or four, and I was, it was like a late night, and I was supposed to be doing a lot of stuff, but instead what I did was start screwing around on Twitter. And then I remembered, God, somebody was joking around. Maybe it was Matt Howey who started Metafilter. Like, the best websites in the world are those that have a tilde. The tilde is a little mm. squiggle on the yeah, top Yeah, the squiggle guy. Board. I love that. <laughs> and Also, it, approximately. Yeah, that's right. It can be approximate. And so like in the old and olden times of the internet, the way that you set up a web page was often you'd get an account on a shared Unix server. Mm. Might be hundreds of people on one computer. Yep. Yep. And you could go in and you could make web pages either directly on the machine using a text editor or you could upload them and you'd put them in your public HTML directory, public underscore HTML. And that was how, and then your website would be like, I remember one of mine was interactive.net tilde Ford. And slash tilde forward, right? So that was yeah. my first website. So I set up a Amazon box and I called it tilde club, tilde dot club. Ooh. Yeah, rough. Dot club. Dot club. Not a lot of people use dot club. That's kind of the point. Yeah, that's great. And I was like, eh, what the hell? Anybody who wants an account, I'll give you one. Let's make web pages like it's 1999. And, and then I, you know, I'd had a couple of Manhattans. I went to bed. Yeah. <laughs> and I woke up and there were like a thousand emails. Amazing. Saying, Let's oh, do actually it. not amazing, terrifying. It was a lot. It was a lot. And so instead of a writer, technologist, engineering leader, I was suddenly a sysadmin to a thousand very demanding, very nice yeah, I bet. people who were giving me no money. And yeah. so um, <laughs> so myself and a team of people who also volunteered did the best we could. And then it went fallow for four years. How many side projects do you guys have that are just kind of sitting there? Lots. Yeah. <laughs> Several book proposals in the desk. Oh, so bad, right? I think of it as my shame farm upstate where I have to send them. Shame farm. <laughs> so it's like this little lamb that I sent upstate so with the words tilt with a tilde on its side. Yeah. Oh. Put out to pasture. Couldn't take care of you, little lamb. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, long story short, um, some very nice people from the internet got in touch and were like, I think we'd like to adopt Tilda Club. You know, it's 2019 now. And I'm like, oh, okay. But it turns out in the intervening time, Time, there's this whole thing called the Tildeverse and lots of servers like this. And wow. people have gotten really into teaching each other Unix. Wow. So end of the story is that the lamb has come home off the farm. Amazing. And actually been sent to, I think, Alberta, are Canada. They, are these where, kind people? Do, are they going to take nice. care of your lamb? Yeah, they were, they were really clear about that. It's hobbyists who really like this community. They're connected to the Tildeverse scene. It, yeah. So it was kind of weird to go away and find that a whole scene had arisen 
based on a joke that I made. Yeah. But it was really cool. And if you want a Tilda Club account, you can go to tilda.club. That's, That's so great. cool. It reminds me of one of those things where you leave like a sim world running, you know, yeah. and you're yeah, like, you forget it. You come back and there's like nine family. other planets that they've populated. Yeah. yeah. Like new and new creatures have developed. And you know yeah. what? It wouldn't have happened if I had been able to properly help and support that community. Because <laughs> yeah. they're like, I'll set up my own Linux box. Why am I waiting for this guy? Right. Yeah, well, you ha- it turns out you get a water bottle. Like, this is the water bottle principle I always think about, which is like, there's this amazing Kanye tweet, my favorite Kanye tweet, which is, I hate when you fall asleep on a plane and someone gives you a water bottle and then you wake up and now you're responsible for this water <laughs> bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, because where are you going to put it? Yeah, exactly. And that's what happens with successful side projects. It's like, wow, now I have this water bottle. It's amazing and incredible. It's giving people value, but I have a water bottle. Yeah, no, no. Right. It's like you throw a party. Yeah. And it's around midnight and you're like, okay, well, we should wind this down. And everybody goes... No, no, no. No, no it's no longer like, your decision. You're like, but on Monday, I have to go to work. And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. You need to get more food. And yeah. I, I'm like, I just ordered 300 pizzas. And they're like, order 300 more. <laughs> and actually, I just invited 10 of my friends. And you're like, oh, no. So, um, And we're not chipping in. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, people totally did chip in. It, oh, it's that's actually, good. Here's what's tricky. Everything, when you are like a little tired everything becomes more responsibility. So it's like uh, people gave me like 1400 bucks for Tilda Club. I remember mm. that. Like I counted it. It was in a spreadsheet. Oh, so great. It was great. It was lovely. Except then I have an accounting responsibility. Now, now. yeah. How do you claim that on your taxes? It's just like, what am I doing? Right. Yeah. And then like, who's going to run the money and where is it going to go and where yeah. do I put it? And somebody actually had knew my neighbor and had my neighbor run cash over to me for fun. Wow. That's not fun. <laughs> I mean, that's no, was, all both fun and not fun. It's awesome. Right. But now I have $20. So like, yeah. what do I do with my $20? Yeah. I have to claim half of this, like to half of this is taxes and the other half is not even going to get me one pair of Louboutins. The great thing about software though is that other people can pick it up and do it on their own. This makes me think of all those Kickstarter projects where people just got in way, way over their head. That's so easy. They were like, I thought of this cool new potato slicer slash chair and then they got a million dollars. And they yeah. didn't yeah. know the first thing about manufacturing. No, like that's what's great about this. <laughs> At one point, someone did actually like hint that they'd be interested in acquiring Tilda Club. Like it was all banana cakes. But in reality, all I had to do was give somebody like one password once I trusted yeah. them and access to like the Google Sheet with the ten thousand signups. Yeah. And go, all right, if this is what you it want. It was a Google Sheet of ten thousand signups. Yeah, because I, I was like, hey, if you want to sign up, and then I went, and then literally the day I went. Someone and two people had signed up the day before. Like people have been signing up continually for five years waiting. Wow. Yeah. So so wait, get back a little bit to like what This is the coolest club you're a promoter yeah. of. Not anymore. I'm just a user. So like what is it that you kind of get when you open up your own little tilde club? This is a very good question. It's it's what people put into it, but basically all you're doing is sharing one server on the internet, which means you have an account, you can use chat. And you can build web pages. And there's a, so, there's some social tools. Like you can chat with individuals. There's mail that works on the server. So you Ooh. can send mail to other people. It's pocket internet. It's like a, people are kind of LARPing as 70 sysadmins. Like it's not a. Cool. It, it, it's just mostly about the tone and tenor of the community and the scope being really, really small. Right. And like and it puts some constraints and, and limits on a system, which is feels more like something that belongs to community as opposed to like, you know, Facebook is giant and vast and, and email is huge and you need 
uh, Google to, to track your spam. This is the opposite of that. This right. is like, hey, we, we're going to trust each other because that's more interesting, but there can't mm. be, and we're going to kind of self-select. This is like a university level internet 70s, 80s type experience. That's right. Except that people, because they, they want to bring, in general, it's a community that wants to bring more people in. So there's a tendency to create more FAQs and guides and, and sort of like coach people along mm-hmm. and, and less of a sense of like shame and confusion, more <laughs> of a sense of, of welcome. So right. it's really been wild to have started something, gone away, and then... Yeah, it's so hard. This reminds me a lot of a talk that Jacob Thornton gave called What is Open Source and Why Do I Feel So Guilty? (laughs) (laughs) Which is like like the idea of open source is wonderful in theory, which is software that you build and other people make it better. You know, kind of like what you were thinking about. You're building this club and other people are going to make it better. But then it turns out all of a sudden you have all this work and all these people that are mad at you. There was this great New Yorker article about studying couples and how they get along and deal with Mm. conflict. And it was saying that some of the healthiest couples are those who can sort of actively tease each other and be antagonistic, but in a way that everybody accepts as playful. Mm -hmm. So you can sort of vent some of your frustration, but you're not doing it in a way where the other person feels attacked and their defenses go up. My favorite... Reddit, subreddit is high quality GIFs. I don't know if you spend any time there. No, mm, but they like just, a good one, promising. it's so good. So they just create these amazing elaborate GIFs and a lot of them get to the front page. But the culture that they've developed there, which I think is really great, is like we're all pretending that the users and the moderators are at war, but it's a joke. Yep. And like we get it. And like that antagonism is something that becomes like a, th- a running theme in the way people Ooh, post or whatever. So fascinating. And so they even did a competition this one time where it was like, if you make a GIF and it's so good it gets to the front page, you're banned for the month. And that's like a trophy for you. And so it was like people are trying to get banned now. You know what I mean? So they kind of spun everything on its head in the way that was really interesting. Well, this is real, right? You, it's very hard to have a functioning culture without play. Mm. And I'm an outsider to the stack culture, but the one of the tricky things I've always found participating and connecting to and reading, I like just reading Stack, is that a lot of times play gets shut down. Mm. Oh, yeah. Right? And I, I don't think I'm like talking too far out of school no. here, right? Like it's just, it's, it's not, something that we struggle with. Right. Yeah. And at the same time, you need to, you don't want someone to put a lot of silliness into the answer about, you know, .NET refactoring your C sharp code. It's just like, yeah. Well, sometimes you do. I, this is something. This is my new. This is my my hill that I'm building, so I can die on it right now. <laughs> is that so? Because because my best answer on Stack Overflow was shut down and closed because the question was what kind of. So this is really quality. The question was what kind of protective gear do you wear when you're programming? And my answer was a helmet and knee guards and closed, deleted. Yeah. That was hilarious. Yeah, no, it's Everyone good work. laughed. <laughs> there is like, there's like one funny answer on Stack Overflow. It's the HTML. How do I, what regular expression will let me parse HTML? Yeah. And that, oh, oh, it's a classic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it, it basically, you got a link to it. It, it, it descends into Zalgo text because everyone, yeah. it's just like, it's just Bizarre. such. Bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good, it's very, very good. Somehow it has survived. Well, no, yeah, this, now it's not. You but, just you just killed I it. I know. Don't we also have that great stats there that's like, you know, people are always trying to get rid of subjective stuff and closing it, but 
of the subjective post that survive, they get like 10x the engagement and traffic. People actually do want to engage that way. We just don't let them. We don't have that wiggle room right now. Yeah. It's this is tricky, right? Because it's culture. It's code and culture and and all that regular stuff and all the messy human stuff that's in there. And then you build these systems with upvoting and everyone and this isn't this is YouTube, this is stack, this is everything. People like turn that into the rules. Yep. They turn that into the culture. And so a certain amount of play goes out. And then it turns out you don't have that give and take when everybody is fighting with each other. Yeah. And then 10 years later, things you never thought would be an issue in the beginning become an issue now. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard to be in the world. It really is. It's challenging. I just want to say that we are about to have a great guest on Cassie Williams, but I want to say this was recorded while she still worked at CodePen. She does now work at React Training. We'll have her back on. Enjoy the interview. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Paul. How's it going? It's good. I can't believe we're back doing this again. I know. Again so soon. It's good to see you. So listen, you were you were all excited about somebody who's going to come on this podcast. Right Super now. excited. Yeah. You were like, you got to meet this person. This is a really cool person. Yeah. And I, I know this person by their product, but I don't know a lot about them. Who are we going to talk to? So Cassidy is... Wait, what's her last name? Williams. (laughs) Okay, because I thought like Cassidy is a perfect name for like a 1970s singer-songwriter. Yeah, but she could just be Cassidy. Like she could be like the developer share kind of of just like Cassidy. Nice. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So she didn't bring a guitar. She brought a laptop. Yeah, that's her instrument. Well, actually laptop with an attached keyboard. Oh, we're going to talk like about an keyboard external today. Keyboard. Yeah. That's <laughs> I got excited. Okay. <laughs> Cassidy Williams, welcome. Hello. I love any and all comparisons to share. I'll take them. <laughs> <laughs> what do you believe in besides love? I guess keyboards. Mm. <laughs> keyboards are love. This is us desperately fishing for that title for the podcast. So now we have it. I believe in keyboards. This is <laughs> yeah. perfect. Got it. Tell us about yourself. Where are you coming from? I'm coming from Seattle. I flew all the way out here just to chat with you guys. Oh, boy. That's amazing. Thank you. It's very exciting. Um, Yeah, I'm out in Seattle. I'm a software engineer at CodePen. It's an online IDE of sorts, I guess, for for web technologies. And for those who don't know what it is, it's an integrated development environment, so a place where you can write HTML, CSS, and JavaScript on the internet. If you're on Stack Overflow, I'm sure you have seen links to it at some point. Well, that's the thing. When you go and you do that search, which is just like... Like CSS left can't titles again table, which is usually how I put it in. Beautifully worded. And then you hit that stack answer, and it's like those four, you know, guys going, "Hey, check out CodePen over here. I, I did it for you." And then twelve windows pop up, and you're good to go. Just the best. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How many yeah. people use CodePen? It's got to be trillions, maybe hundreds a lot, of trillions. Probably, <laughs> probably more than there are people on this earth. I know it's in the millions. So I, lots of lots lot, of nerds. Lots and lots of nerds on that site, mm. and artists too, who are nerds in their in their own way. What I like about it, and what kind of got me into it, is I liked seeing people make art with code. I thought that mm. was really neat, and so I thought maybe I could try to improve my CSS skills by making art. And then the CodePen team liked my art and. Here I am. <laughs> Tell, talk about your art for a minute. What was that? What What did you do? So honestly, I, I first started by just like taking dribble links, just things that designers had made and trying to recreate it with just CSS. And it, it's That's fun. you doing that stuff? Yeah. Oh, drib- dribble with three Bs. With three Bs. Yeah. That's where designers make beautiful It's things. a portfolio site for designers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. I, I, I like to think of CodePen as kind of like dribble, but for 
web stuff. But yeah, I, I started by doing really basic things. And then once you start doing that, you start realizing, ooh, I could test the language in this way and that way. And, and that's just kind of how I got into it. And I started making like flashing cameras with CSS and like texting penguins in CSS and, and silly things like that. Gotcha. I'm always seeing like, here's a code pen of like three butterflies kissing a fairy. And I made all this in CSS. And I'm like, who is doing that? That's so That's, amazing. I'm one of them. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. It's, yeah. it's one of those things where once you get into it, it's, it's like drawing, except the computer is handling all of like the radii and stuff for you. So you don't have to worry about being completely perfect with your hand. What's your job? I code. Mm -hmm. I code all day long. So I mostly just work on the front end of the site. I've done some back end stuff, but one of the things that I've been working on the most is the site was originally built with jQuery and Ruby on Rails, which good technologies, but kind of dated now. And they served CodePen well, but now we're converting the site entirely to React. And so that's kind of been my charge to to do that. And And a few features have been built with React and they used Redux for state management, which really great for its time when they first started introducing it into our code base in 2015, 2016. But if you love jigsaw puzzles, it's an amazing uh, technology. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I'm so sorry. Glad I'm that sorry. Redux fans all around the world. I know. I know. Oh man. I gave a talk about how I wasn't a fan of Redux and GraphQL and Apollo and stuff as a future. And a man came up to me afterwards, shook my hand and just said, I disagree with everything you said and walked away. <laughs> Yeah. I, like, oh. I appreciate that style. Though. <laughs> <laughs> just like, well, goodbye. Wow, yeah, his anger management classes have been going great. <laughs> <laughs> like... But anyway, so we, we it was built with Redux, or, or certain features were built with Redux, and then CodePen was like, we hate this. And now we're moving over to Apollo and GraphQL, and it's it's made for really good changes on both the back end and the front end. We're talking about Ruby on Rails and React, right? Mm -hmm. Sorry, did you ever program Ruby? Yes. You were Ruby. I've never really. I've never been like a Ruby programmer, but I've coded in Ruby. And then jQuery, when it came along, it was a miracle that finally mm. made JavaScript usable. Right. And, and probably we used it a little too much as an industry. So yeah. what motivates rebuilding something the way that you're rebuilding it? Right. So there comes a point where the old technologies, like they'll work, but things are moving faster on the internet these days. Mm -hmm. And people expect not to see full page reloads just when you're paginating across a list or something. They want to just see the list refresh. For Especially example. on mobile, right? Because right. you want little tiny updates to go Yeah, exactly. One, one of my big projects was just making our pen editor responsive because it wasn't at all. It was when you went on it on your phone, it was an entirely different web application that was loaded. Mm. And and so just kind of getting rid of all of that extra code makes the site a lot faster. Ah, so you and had then, like multiple sort of internal forks of the code right. just to kind of keep the, like, here's a version that was going to work okay for mobile and here's like our desktop client. Yeah, and then we would make a new feature on desktop and then forget mobile and then we'd have to go back and edit it and yeah. stuff. And, and it was a pain. And now, so people assume that's like, you're going to have like 1.2 babies, but you actually have like a whole family yeah. where you have to take care and raise them. Exactly. And, and as you, as things get more modular, you end up having to edit a bunch of different things. And so you, you have to both have a tight knit family, but also be able to de bug it without having to break everything in the process and, and all kinds of stuff. So, it's just friction. Everything's slow. Right. Like you, it's slow to get stuff done. Yeah. Okay. And so in in doing all of these different improvements, we, we have a lot of goals for the site to be able to be a much more social environment, for example, and to just have a lot more features for people to build with and, and uh, discover new content. So the improvements are not only to speed up the site, but also to make room for new 
features because as we build new features, we kind of just have to tolerate the old code and build around them. But in getting rid of the old code and building more modular and, and future-proof code, we're able to build features faster and, and better. And, How are and you going to disrupt on the internet if you can't do that? I know. Exactly. Yeah. Disruption, as we know. Is the name of the game. Okay, so so things are going slow. There's lots of friction. And so you're saying, let's go over here to um, React on the front end. I'm assuming like JavaScript on the back end, like Node or something like that. Or... Uh, it's still very much Ruby-ish. Oh, Ruby, like, um, the, yeah, we have... Uh, that's a whole other beast. One of one of my projects was putting together a monorepo of just our node packages mm. because we have Ruby and then we had all of these node packages. For example, every single preprocessor, if you wrote like less or SAS or Babel or all, all these different things that preprocess your code to be pushed to the we preview. Have to, we have to unpack these acronyms for Is there, humans. There are so just many. a little bit. What's a monorepo? Why do people, why right. are you using one? Yeah, so there's all of these different things that we use where they're just kind of individual functions. Mm -hmm. Their lambdas are another name for them where they do one task well. And so, for example, with less or with SAS, they each have their own function that preprocess the code. Babel, it preprocesses JavaScript and transpiles it for That's like a little script JavaScript. and you give it some input in code and it gives you other output right. in code. Yeah, and, and we host those on a Lambda thing and, and it just runs. And we have a bunch of different ones. And one of my projects was putting it into this monorepo, which means it's like a bunch of little projects in a big project. And in doing so, we're able to version things well and the back end and the front end are kind of weirdly coupled. But we're able to just reference the monorepo and get the versions for all of our small packages and have them just run instead of saying, oh, we want to update less on both the front end and the back end. We have to update the front end first. Then we have to make sure that the back end passes. Then we have to make sure that all of these versions match up because they're connected over here. So it's one it's, big box. Right. It's, okay. a, it's a black box, basically. Mm -hmm. Where, where it gives you the information that you need and you can run with it. And so that was the whole purpose of that. And so the back end is Ruby and also those node packages. What made you decide to replace jQuery with React? Great question. <laughs> uh, jQuery, I mean, jQuery was great for its time. Mm -hmm. I, it, it got the job done and, and like we mentioned before, it made JavaScript usable. But in switching to React, it allows for a more single-page application experience, even mm. though we still have a bunch of individual Ruby templates being served up across the site, we're able to say, okay, instead of having a separate page for, we want all the picked pens, all the picked collections, all the picked posts, projects, and then same for popular pens, posts, collections, projects, and, and doing that for everything, we can say, we just have one single page that deals with all of that routing, all of that selecting, and it just passes in variables. And mm. so instead of having 12 different files for some of these pages, we can just have one that handles all of that logic. Well, React's so, all components, right, right, instead of pages. So, And it, it sort of makes you think about your world in terms of data and components sort of flowing through as opposed to lots of pages, which right. sad for the web maybe a little bit, but God, it's easy to build with. It's so great to build with. And one of the interesting things that we've had to deal with is because we're still dealing with the, that backend Ruby templating system and all of these new React components that act as pages, we have to have multiple routers in place, both a React router and the Ruby router, and they have to agree. And if they're out of sync, they get angry at each other. And, and we, we've had to deal with a lot of growing pains there, and we have a lot of just shims where we say someday this will be gone, but it has to exist now while we're still in this conversion process. And and moving to React, it was it was just 
the right decision at the time. And, and I wasn't there when they started transitioning to React, but um, that's when they built out the dashboard on the site and the project section of the site. And, and those were in React and Redux. And they were just like, this is the next thing in the web. We're going to be modern. We're going to use it. And uh, we have been learning a lot. And and since I since I have joined, it's it's been a really awesome learning experience, both for the team and for myself, just because we're trying out all of these new different technologies. And and we mentioned that I wrote a blog post that that uh, we published mm. last month, um, and and it was it was great. And and I mostly talked about our transition to moving from Redux to Apollo. And Apollo has been a really cool technology that we've been using. That. Um, it pulls data from a GraphQL endpoint um, for the front end to use, and it really empowers the front end in a really awesome way. Can you tell people who don't know who GraphQL is what you're talking about? Yes, GraphQL is my friend. Um, mm -hmm. So REST is kind of like the thing for, for getting API data. If you wanted to make a post request or a put request or whatever, you can get data back from an API and use it. And typically, if you were using a typical REST endpoint, you would contact a back-end developer and say, okay, this is the data that I need. Tell me how it's going to be formatted so that way I can parse it correctly and then use it. But what's awesome about GraphQL is it's a different way of formatting that data and, and there's like a schema involved that is kind of an API in itself where you can kind of go through how you query certain data to get data and then you use mutations to change the data and th that's pretty much all you need to know, queries and mutations to get and to I mean, It does make your API a lot more hackable, right? Like it used yeah. to be like, hey, I want a user in all the blog posts they've written. Somebody would have to say, okay, I'm going to retrieve the user and all the blog posts turn that into a big bundle of JSON and send it back to you, and that'll be like its own special endpoint. And now right. you can kind of ask that without having the engineer on the back end figure it out. Right, and that's what's awesome about Apollo because it, it gives the front end an interface to that. And so if, for example, I want the current session user, I can say, okay, I want the user ID, I want their avatar, and I want to know if they're a pro account. And then if I want one more piece of data like their profile URL, I just add that to my query and I get it. I don't have to talk to the back end team at all. It just exists suddenly, and I can use it as if it always existed. And it gives a certain states, like a loading state, and so I can say, oh, if the data hasn't been retrieved yet, display this component, otherwise display mm. this component with this data. And it, it's really intuitive. It, it it feels like what React should have been before Redux happened, and I'm sorry those who love Redux. It's 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 a great technology, but it, it just it didn't make sense to me. It felt like one of the analogies I use a lot is when you're trying to build a castle, you can tend to kind of knit a castle together and it's it's this beautiful tapestry. But if you want to add on a new feature, you have to either rip some string and then tack it on and, and stitch it on or kind of manipulate it in that way and it ends up kind of being a hodgepodge. But with a more modular code base, it's more like Legos where you can just like pop it in, pop it off, move bricks around and just it, it works because they're all their own individual bundles. And that's what I like about Apollo because every single component just says, this is what I need to run. Great. I have it. And then it can just be working. That's great. That must work well when you're replacing old technology. Exactly. It's it's awesome. And and whenever we're moving on to a new project, we're just like, okay, does the backend have everything we need? Great. We can just go with it. Otherwise, we can say backend team, make sure these are available in the endpoint, and then we'll just work with it from there. And, and we don't have to rely on each other to keep moving forward development-wise. One of the things we're using more and more at work is this technology called Hashura. Have you run across it? I haven't. Oh, it it. It's just a layer in front of a Postgres database that gives you a GraphQL endpoint. 
So Ooh. no, no, very, very little middleware. No, no JavaScript, no Python, just, just Hasura, H-A-S-U-R-A and Postgres and you're, that's, that's it. That's awesome. You're done. Yeah. And you know, you're like, mm, but there's going to be stuff and it's like, now nah, they're starting to figure it out and it just makes you wonder if the back end's even necessary anymore, which it's, is just exciting. It's exciting, yeah. yeah. Uh, especially as a front end person, it's mm -hmm. great. And and I have a more traditional CS background, and and it was always the kind of thing where I liked front end because I could see things and I liked the visual of it. But I felt like I had to do back end because that's just what my education was and what mm -hmm. I, I I was learning. But with React and with all of these different things, especially with hooks being more and more popular, and then GraphQL having this graph interface and everything and, and determining how to best do pagination given a certain type of list and, and all of these interesting problems that front end never really had to deal with before. It's, mm. it's, it's fun because I get to use my background more and also just still use front end and still have the visual confirmation and, and work with really neat technologies that I actually like. I should be That's mindful awesome. too that there are people who work for me doing backend development. Don't worry about a thing. <laughs> <laughs> no one get nervous. No, there's lots and lots of work ahead. Everybody relax. So keyboards. Keyboards. So mechanical keyboards, everyone. Let's let's gather around and talk about them. <laughs> um, keyboards in the 80s were like IBM Model M keyboards, all, all those old keyboards, those were all mechanical keyboards. Hmm. They were great. They a lot of those keyboards, most of those keyboards still work today. I have a friend who works specifically with a keyboard that was manufactured the day he was born. And, and I he's love just that. like, yeah, he like had an eBay search and went for I it. I love that. It was so cool. Yeah. And it works great. And this, they like each key has like a switch. This is right. What it about. has okay. an actual mechanical switch that activates the circuit underneath. Mm -hmm. And as computers and, and keyboards as a result got more popular, they became more cheaply made. And most keyboards that you use are capacitive in some way, like a, whether you're using it on your laptop or, or just, I don't know, some regular keyboard that you get at the store. It has typically either some kind of butterfly switch or a rubber dome underneath where when you press on the key, it presses against the circuit to connect the circuit. And mm, the rubber it. dome's the worst. Oh, I know. Yeah. Don't get me started. Nah, I do uh... like a good silenced topre though. But anyway, so <laughs> mechanical keyboards started to get a bit of a surge because people wanted that return to quality. And then as the return to quality started to get more popular in general, people were like, let's make them pretty. Let's make them heavy. Let's make them, let's make them more programmable and more functional. And, and now it's, it's this awesome community. I'm actually uh, on the board of directors for a nonprofit called C-Keys where we teach kids how to solder and with electronics and stuff via mechanical keyboards. And then they can have a little keyboard that they can take home. And it's um, amazing. It's so fun. Yeah. And yeah. we run the Seattle Mechanical Keyboard Meetup, which has hundreds of people come every year from around the world too. We've had people fly in and, and it's, it's awesome. And so with these keyboards, you have an actual switch that activates the circuit and the switch can be super loud which is what most mm -hmm. people associate with mechanical keyboards the loud clicky switches but you can also have quiet or tactile switches or you could have nearly silenced linear switches and you can customize them like you can you can lube part of the stem so that way it's really smooth going down and you can make a shorter actuation distance so you don't have to type so hard will these work on any mechanical keyboard i asked because yes. i have a number of dos keyboards in the in the closet but they're a little too loud for my current lifestyle profile you you should use instead are called o-rings and they're mm -hmm. little rubber bands that you can stick on the stems of your keycaps and it like stops the actual click actuation from happening but the actual key press actuation oh, that's great. Still for members of our audience 
that sit next to someone with a mechanical keyboard that want them to stop making noise? Do you think that's an appropriate gift to give without context? Yeah, no, that's good. I'm going to tell a story and it may not be admissible for the podcast. I've never built anything, obviously, for my parents because I don't code. I guess sometimes I help my mom uh, compose letters to the New York Times when she wants to make sure that it will get in there. Okay, great. I do my best. Um, But the other day, Benny, you're a journalist. Yeah, as a journalist. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You went to that school. Let's get (laughs) you. What do you you think of this argument? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's not your mom. When she has a complight about an (laughs) op-ed, I help her write the rebuttal. I like role-playing as all of your parents. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Um, so the other day, my dad sent me a text early in the morning, which is rare, saying mm-hmm. like, okay. hey, I have a bit of an emergency. Can you come down? Oh, no. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, no. So I went down, and he was like, I was going through my spam folder. Oh, no. And I found this email. Can you check it out? Now, first of all, why he was going through his spam folder is yeah, beyond me. Sometimes. You get bored sometimes. Yeah, you just you might have missed something really important right. from yeah. you know, Kevin right. in 1982. Right. And, and the email said, hey, hey, I know that your password is XYZ, which is correct, a password that I do know that he mm-hmm. uses for different mm-hmm. accounts. Mm-hmm. You need to send me a certain amount of money in mm-hmm. Bitcoin mm-hmm. because you have been like a filthy bad boy oh, on, yeah. on your computer and no. I have been recording it all with no, your no, webcam. No, no, I've done these two. They, uh. This is a huge thing. Yeah. Like everybody's been getting those emails because what they did, it, okay, keep going. So then I froze and I was like, uh, I don't know if Dad, I want to, like, like <laughs> if there are those videos, I don't want to get involved. Benny, for like, God's I want to help never... you, but I don't want to be scarred for life. Nothing more than a normal <laughs> nipple, Ben. Yeah. I, come on. <laughs> I don't want to know what you, but luckily he was like, this computer doesn't even have a webcam. And I was like, oh, thank God. Okay. Okay. All right. We can, <laughs> this is a spam, you know, this is a, yeah. a scam. Ignore this. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. was my story of help. A little, my one. IT no, support. So what happens is, um, you know, those giant databases of, of emails and passwords right. go out. Experian mm. leak or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And Thanks, Experian. Where's my $125? Exactly. And it's just a, it's just a form letter saying, give me this Bitcoin because I've been spying on you. Right. And people are naturally guilty or they get up to their stuff. And, you know, you know, one out of a million is all you need. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, if you get that email, relax. No one has seen no you do your dirty it. stuff. Right. Yeah, no. Paul, have you ever built anything for friends and family? Yeah, no, I built, I mean, I did do our own wedding website, which is always, Aww. yeah, that was years ago. And I'm wondering, like, it's probably in a zip file somewhere. Yes, it's still up. No, you, you got to let the URLs go. Yeah. That I've been sense. letting URLs go recently. It's yeah. just free. It's very freeing. I, 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 I'm working through my procrastination stack. This is like yeah. a big thing for me because I'm, I'm late on a book. I have a big website that I uh, that I wanted to launch around mm. visualizing timelines. I had Tilt the Club. And then I also have this other thing called Anxiety Box. It's a bot that emails you um, what a piece of garbage you are on a regular basis. Oh, thank God. Yeah. That's so important. That's so helpful. Yeah, because then you're like, well, Who's going to tell you if the bot doesn't? That's right. So, no, no, because it's actually like the bot telling you is very relaxing because you're like, this is ridiculous. Why is this thing yelling at me all the time about what yeah. a piece of trash I am? It's just a robot. And you're like, oh, like my anxiety. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, got it. Yeah, no, it actually helped me stop having panic attacks on the subway. But then. The good news is that then they wrote, they did it, uh, they did a piece on it on Reply All that ended up on This American Life. So seven thousand people signed up for Anxiety Box, listing yeah. all their anxieties, and yeah. I'm like, I can't launch a medical product. 
So, no. so anyway, there's like my procrastination yeah. stack is yeah. deep. And I'm like, URLs are one of them. The things I've registered at night, like I must do that. This is amazing. Yeah, actually, Tilda Club was some responsibility. But suddenly being a registered therapist for 8,000 strangers is serious <laughs> responsibility. No, no, I have this spreadsheet that is truly like a, and it's it's nicely locked down with two-factor, but it is a truly toxic document right. with emails and the direct, and the top two anxieties narrated. Right. Like full, It's one of the most fascinating and poisonous things I've ever imagine. Like, talking be, about data that could be used yeah, for evil. Not HIPAA compliant. <laughs> no, exactly, because I was just doing a little joke for 12 friends, right. and then suddenly 7,000 people. It's like, the, it's like the worst kind of Midas touch, because right. yeah. it just turns into it turns into anti-money. <laughs> like debt. Yeah, yeah. anti-money. It's debt. Oh, that's it's, a threat. You have the Midas touch for free software. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, for like non-existent vaporware. Burn around vaporware. your neck. And uh, it actually turns out that the, when you're this American life community and the people the community of people with extremely bad anxiety. Like, <laughs> that, that, Venn yeah, that Venn diagram just looks like a circle. Right. It's like not, there's no two circles. So. Yeah. Not like an ancient Greek thing where like, it was like, if you wake up every day and you remind yourself of like, what's the worst possible thing that could happen to you, then you're like, Okay, that didn't happen today, and you feel better. That kind of reminds me of anxiety. Well, that's, um, shrinks mm. and and I think cognitive behavioral science too is is big on catastrophizing. Like, yeah, you're in this situation, you're depressed, and then you go, "What's the worst that can happen?" And yeah. sort of like like college debate, it always ends up in like, "Oh, nuclear war," and then you're like, "Well, that didn't happen," <laughs> so I guess I'll go to the doctor, you yeah. know, and then. Uh, so that's, yeah, no, always come up with the worst thing. Honestly, and this is programmers really should be doing this. Like, you should always be thinking of the worst thing that could happen. Mm. And then have fun with it. So we'll, we'll, we're going to shout out uh, some folks in the community. These are heroic uh, adopters. Heroic adopters mm. who ended up answering a question, which got all the way up to a score of 20. And that question had a score of negative three or less. So the question was on its way to the trash bin of eternity. Mm. Instead, they saved eternity. it. They shared some knowledge. What is the difference between back ticks, quotes, and double quotes in Golang? Thank you to Eugene Litsky. How to get current UTC timestamps in seconds. Thank you to Dat Nguyen. UI alert view first deprecated iOS 9. That question is not really written as a question, but thank you to Madam Braham. And how to change VMware player version for a virtual machine. Thank you to Rugved Mahume. Thank you. Thank Good you. Good night, Butters of the week. Thank you to Paul and Sarah. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention here, it is true that we had a great interview with Cassidy. She did work at CodePen. She now works at React Training. So we will have her back on and talk about her new job sometime soon. You know, and if you ever find yourself programming in the woods, writing Go, make sure to check yourself for backticks. Check yourself for backticks. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.